Uh, again, and we want to welcome you to our gathering today. Uh, thank you for gathering with us. Uh, if I don't know you, my name's Kyle. I'm the pastor of Preaching and Vision here uh, at Center Church. And man, we are glad, uh, man, to worship together. Uh, and so with that, as we settle in, I want you to go ahead. We're going to open our Bibles once again uh, to the book of Nehemiah. We're continuing uh, in this series where today uh, in chapter 7 and 8, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of move uh, into a pretty significant transition uh, in this book that's going to take us uh, really all the way through the end. And as you turn there, I, what I want to do is I, I want to remind us just of a couple of things uh, as we uh, begin our time. Because, man, I believe uh, that, and, and we all know it's like, man, where we come from and, and what we've walked through already in this book really uh, has been moving us to where we are today and where we're headed. And so uh, I think that the, these few things are really key uh, for our time today. And so the first thing I would say is that, man, as we've journeyed through this book, what we've seen over and over again is that God, uh, man, he has done this amazing work in and through his people in this story. I mean, from the get-go, even as Nehemiah finds out that, man, in Jerusalem, the walls are torn down and the people are, are man, just, they're filled with shame and the things are just broken. Uh, and, man, Nehemiah turns to God and God begins to work. He may, makes a way for Nehemiah to go to Jerusalem. And, and as we see the story progress, what we see over and over again is that God is not only at work in the midst of what's going on, uh, but that God is working through His people uh, to see the completion of this work. As we saw, uh, man, the, this, uh, the rebuilding of the walls, and it's completed in 52 days, which was, man, really unheard of. Like less than two months, and this wall is built. Um, I, I thought about that, and I realized yesterday uh, I was working on our fence. Uh, I've been building a fence for five months, uh, and it's still not done. Uh, and so, man, 52 days to build a wall around a city. That's an amazing feat, right? And so we see that take place but the next thing we see, and, and again, this has been a pattern or a theme throughout the story, is that while the work has been a good work, it's not been an easy work, right? We've seen over and over again, opposition arise. There's this, not only are the people in exile, not only people, man, uh, under uh, the rule of a king, uh, they find themselves, even as they build the wall, there's uh, these people that wish to oppose them and stop the work. I mean, last week we saw it was attack after attack after attack. And really, uh, the way, uh, specifically the way those came is in avenues of fear. And so they, they sought to make Nehemiah and the people fear man and, uh, and, and try to say, hey, we are authority. You should fear us. They, uh, sought to, uh, bring about fear and the stopping of the work by false accusation. Right. So they say, Nehemiah, you just want to be king. And that's why you're doing this. Right. And uh, we know that if man, the, the king Artaxerxes uh, thought that that was true, he would snuff out their work very quickly. And then lastly, uh, we see uh, this call where they try to make Nehemiah fear death and they want to do it in such a way that he would enter into the temple and sin. Right. So that he would have a moral failure. And yet, what happens all throughout the story is that the people continue to not simply build. We see that they complete 
the wall. And, and, and I love that picture last week is that as the enemy is trying to oppose the work by the, the means of fear, uh, man, God's people continue the work. And what happens at the end of chapter six is that it says that fear fell upon not only their enemies, but the nations because they look and see this amazing work that's happened. And they know that it was only by the power of God that this took place. And so this leads me to my final note. And, and I think, man, for us today as we enter in is that we must remember, uh, just as we did in week one, I shared that this, this is a story that many believe is about the building of a wall, but it's actually so much, much more than that because the building of the walls was always a means to an end. You see, God is more concerned about reviving and rebuilding a people, not this place. His heart is for His people first and foremost. And so really that's the transition that we're going to turn to today is while the wall is rebuilt, God's going to set in and say, okay, it's time to revive and rebuild a people. And so it's the fulfillment of this work by God's grace and the power that leads us into our time in Nehemiah 7 and 8 where we get this wonderful picture of really the people's response to its completion. And and man, what I love about the text today is that, man, their response, I I believe, reveals to us uh, as this story already marked, uh, these various marks of what it means for us to be a healthy church family. Because you see, if the walls are rebuilt, if the gates are hung, really the next logical question is, what now, right? God's people have invested all of, man, their blood, sweat, their tears, their emotions, right? They themselves and their time in the building of this wall. And so now they have to answer the question, okay, what now? I mean, in your own life, like you probably ask those questions at times, right? Like if you ever poured yourself into some project and as as soon as you finish, when it's complete, you look at it and then you're just kind of left to wrestle with the question, well, what now? Now, for some of you, that's really easy because you've got a list, right? And you're just like, oh, check, let's move to the next one, right? For some other ones, it's just like, I'm just going to look at it for a while, You know, and maybe I'm just going to go take a nap, okay? It's me avoiding that question, what now? And I believe that the way we answer that question in those moments is vitally important in the life of every disciple because while the world's answer, guess what? The world is constantly pressing us, not only with the question, what now, but it's giving us answer after answer after answer, is it not? It's saying, look here, uh, if you've got 15 seconds, look at this. If you've got, man, we can even stretch it. If you've got 60 seconds to look at this story, uh, if you can jump in to read this quick tweet or this headline, they're trying to get you to answer the question, hey, this is what's now. Turn here, look over here. If that doesn't work, you can go over there and find something else. Like it's always in front of us. It's constantly changing because guess what while it can produce answers none of them are the correct answer none of them bring fulfillment none of them bring rest you see for the follower of jesus and our answer stays the same we are to look to god and worship and faith trusting that he is the good king that gives to direction to our what now 
But I think one of the problems in culture in general, but I, I even think in church culture at times, is that we answer that question poorly. You see, when we make it about what we need to do rather than who we are, we get things all out of whack, do we not? I mean, just take, for instance, like parenting. Like if you, I, I, you know, I see it all the time happen, man, parents, because they don't understand who they are in Christ and then what their job is at parents, man, they pour their whole life. They pretty much worship their children in really unhealthy ways. And their children allow that. Guess what? Because they're just like us. They're sinners. And they're like, oh, I want it to be all about me. And then their kids go off to college. And then guess what? They have a question. What now? And they don't know how to answer it. Because everything they've put, they're like, and guess what? I'm not saying, like, just abandon your children, okay? Just like, you know, uh, just you figure it out, right? I've been there. It caught lots of counseling. Uh, and so what happens, what I am saying is, man, we've got to answer it in the correct way so then we know how to parent. Then we we, we got to answer it in our marriages or our singleness or our workplace. And we're going to get into that today. We have to answer that what now by looking to the the only answer, which is Jesus. And so let's look now. We're going to read Nehemiah 7. I'm just, we're going to read the first five verses of this chapter, and then I'm going to kind of summarize the rest of it, uh, and then we'll move into chapter 8. But what we're going to get here in Nehemiah 7 is it's going to begin drawing out a picture of the response of God's people in light of the walls being built. It says this, Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani, and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first and I found written in it. And then what we see is you can go on and you read a long, long, long list of names that I believe are very important. But for the sake of time and my limited reading skills, (laughs) we're going to stop there. So the walls are rebuilt, and the now what comes up? And the now what that arises is who is going to inhabit the city? It says that the city was wide and large, but there were few people within it. What Nehemiah understands, you see, he gets the, the reality that if the completion of these walls was meant to be the start of revival and rebuilding of God's people as a holy and set apart nation, guess what? They got to get God's people back into the city. Like a, a city with walls but no inhabitants is worthless. It's useless. And so he turns to God and he says, my, and my God put it in my heart to assemble the leaders, officials and people together to enroll by genealogy. And then what follows is that long list of names that gives form and function to the future of God's people inhabiting Jerusalem. You see, this genealogy was the first step in validating the identity of the people of God in the city. And what I love about it is Nehemiah doesn't say, hey, 
let's just get all the important people in. Now he calls the nobles and he says, let's get the officials. But then he says, let's get all the people. He, he, what, what Nehemiah understands, it doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter where you fall on the political spectrum. It doesn't matter how hard you worked on the wall or how limited you were in that work. He says, no, let's get all the people together. See, Nehemiah understands that God's people are a part of God's story. And man, for us today, like for you today, like, man, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a part of the story. It's no different in God's kingdom. You see, we receive identity not based on how well we work to build up our personal walls of morality, but by dependence on the blood of Christ that brings us in and gives us identity and adoption as sons and daughters. For just as God's people were brought in to live behind the walls based on who they were as God's people and not what they had done, we too get in, not by what we do, but who we are in Christ and Christ alone. It's only by the blood that you get in. And so, I, I like today, I, I don't care where you've come from. And not just me, like, like I, I don't care like where, where you've been what circumstance, what opposition. Like, I don't care if you're a bib or a bob. Like, Jesus doesn't either. Right? Like, the cross levels the playing field for all. The nobles, the officials, and all the people. The cross changes the narrative. The cross redeems our stories by grace. So what we find in the rest of chapter 7 in this list of names, really what we see is, is this picture of continuity. This picture of a continued work that uh, we, it, 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 it looks like Ezra chapter 2. If you go back to the book of Ezra, uh, these names are largely the same throughout both of the lists. But really, I believe, man, this, this is part of the story of redemption that, that relates all the way back to Genesis. It's God's continuity of continuing His plan of the redemptive story. But this is not just a list of names. There's more to this continuity because there's purpose behind this list. You see, these people are to display the image of God to the world around them in the way that they worship, in the way that they proclaim the truth of God's Word and live out the call of the creation narrative to be fruitful and multiply. So just as much as this is a genealogy, it's also a continuation of the redemptive story. You see, God's plan has not changed and His purpose for the people hasn't changed either. So what does this mean for us? Well, what it means for us is, man, we have a bigger picture. We have a fuller picture of the story. Because guess what? Continuity continued. After Nehemiah and Esther, all the way through the Old Testament, when things look good, when things look bad, when things are silent, God continues. And then we see it in the person and work of Jesus. You see, we... As disciples, like if you're as a follower of Jesus, you were not only called in to the story, but man, you were a called out one that's been called out for a purpose. 
See, how we get in and who we are is just is only by grace, but the purpose of knowing who we are and where our residency resides, which is in Christ and the kingdom, should encourage us and empower us to live in our city in ways that displays the kingdom and what it means to be God's people, the church. We are to be a display people. But not only that, we are to be a people, like we we saw it at the end of chapter 6, we don't have to fear. We have nothing to fear, right? Because Christ's perfect love casts out our fear. And, and so what that means, I just want you to hear, like as you, uh, uh, you know, as we enter in and press into this, what that means for us is, guess what? You have the freedom to go for it. By God's grace and by the power of the Spirit, right, that, that resides in you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you, and you have the freedom to go for it. You have the freedom to actually be a good neighbor. To to seek to proclaim the gospel in every part of life. And you can go for it without fear. Because you can have faith in who you are. Not in what you still need to do. And it will be these marks of what it means to be the church and light of Christ's victory and our calling that, 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 that's going to take up our time today. What we're going to see is we're going to see in chapter 8 that God's people, uh, they have a care for His Word. But not only that, they, they, uh, man, they have uh, a calling to proclaim and they understand what it means uh, to be God's people and that when you understand His Word, it changes not only you, but man, how you respond in this call that you're supposed to teach people God's Word. They understand conviction. But also at the end of our time today, they're going to see this call to even celebrate in the midst of conviction. And the next week we're going to see that like confession is coming. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to read uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. Um, There are not as many names here, but there are names, so bear with me. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it. He read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah on the right hand, and Pedaiah, Mishael, Malkajiah, Hashem, Hashbadanana, Zechariah, Meshalem on the left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 7, also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peleliah, the Levites helped the people to understand the law 
while the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. All right, so following the list of names that come in and inhabit the city, the question again becomes, okay, what now? Like, we, we, were, we built the walls, now we build homes, we're here. What do we do now? I mean, it's been a long couple of months and even a longer season of exile. So, man, I think the common answer would be to coast for a bit and just enjoy the time. Have some leisurely rest. I mean, it probably wouldn't be frowned upon for the people to spend some time enjoying and feeling good about the wall that they built, right? Well, the answer, according to the text, is no. Like, that's not what they do. Because see, following the time of building and settling in homes, God's people don't look to the enjoyment of the wall and their work as a means of satisfaction. Guess what? It's just a wall. Rather, they, and and by they I mean the people of God, it, it says that they come together as one man. Man, just this picture of unity. And God's people come together and they say, Ezra, who is the priest, they say, hey, uh, he's the one that originally brought the people back to rebuild the temple. They say, we want you to bring out the book of the law of God. You see the focus here? The focus is not on what they've done, but on the one who empowered and gave them the strength and victory in the work. They look to God because they understand that without God and without understanding and obedience... Of the word of God. The walls mean nothing. And so they have a deep care for God's word. You see in your life. In my life. We can do a lot of good things. You you can build a lot of spiritual looking walls. That project faith. But without an understanding of your need for God. And the work of Jesus for you. That only comes by an understanding of God's word which produces grace-filled and spirit-empowered obedience, man, I don't care how big the wall is, guess what? It won't save you. And if God's people would have just trusted in the wall and never gone to to worship and, and care for God's Word, guess what? Those walls would have been torn down. Eventually, they are. Today, like in in your life, do you have a care for God's Word? Today, man, do we as God's people, do we have a care for God's Word? Or are you just simply satisfied with the walls you've built? See, the people in the story, they understand, man, how valuable and needed God's Word is. That it is essential. And so they call Ezra who comes before them with the law. Now, two things really quickly. One, uh, man, there's this really neat theme between the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. The first half of Ezra is the rebuilding of the temple, and the second half is the rebuilding of God's people. The first half of Nehemiah is the rebuilding of the walls. The second half is the rebuilding of God's people. But, but the thing I think is more of note, if you read the book of Ezra and you see what's happening in Nehemiah now, is, man, I can't imagine the excitement that Ezra has. In Ezra 7, verse 10, it says that Ezra set his heart to study, do, and teach God's people the word. 
And Ezra has been longing for God's people to have a care and a concern and a hunger for the word of God. And Ezra, he's just been doing that over and over and over again. And God's people come to him and they say, hey, Ezra, come on. We want you to teach us the word. And just imagine his excitement, his joy. To teach God's people And so he brings them the word. It says that every man, woman, and all who could understand what was taught. It says that they sat under his teaching from morning to midday. You get about 50 minutes here, okay? So morning to midday. And they're just not sitting like they're not falling asleep. They're not doing other things, right? It says that their ears were attentive. It means that they listened with both humility and hunger. They were hungry for it. I love what it says. It says, even as Ezra taught, the people would cry out, Amen, Amen. Which if you know what Amen like, so be it. They would hear God's word and they would say that. So be that. That's what we're after. That's what we want. Is that us? Like, when's the last time, like, I'm not even talking about in here, right? I'm talking about, like, I mean, I, we, we let's say amen, amen, right? Like, but even in your time of, in the Word, like, you just read something and you're like, oh, amen, so be it. They're lifting up their hands and they're bowing their heads to the ground. And does God's Word draw you to respond in this way? No, not my words, not my, not, not, not my teaching, but strictly the Word of God. Again, do you desire it like you go after the 280 characters of a tweet or a short video on TikTok or Instagram stories? Like, do you desire it like that more than that? Man, that stuff is garbage in light of the Scriptures. Do you have the capacity and desire to pour over the Word, to sit under the Word, to soak in the Word of the Lord with amen and amen? Or are you satisfied with the words of others? Do you long for the solid food of the Word that fills or just the milk of the Word processed by others? Is that simply enough? Man, Sunday morning can't be the only time that you get the Word. Because this is just digested milk. You've got to hunger for that solid food. And, and you've got to look at life and say, okay, what do I need to, 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 to turn away from so that I might just get after that? Today, does the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus draw you to worship? Or do you find yourself hardened and numb towards it as if it were some routine? Like, do you, do you even care about God's Word? Like for today, guess what? Because it never gets old. You know, I've heard it said before, well, I did that in my past when I was younger. No. You need the good news just as much today as you did then. We need it for our soul daily. Moment by moment. To recall it. And we care about a lot of good things. But do we know why we care about those things? 
based on the scriptures? Or are we just doing them because, well, it's just a good thing to do? And is what we do an extension or product of God's word? Or is it just an overflow of just, well, that's just what you do? And so in the midst of this call, in the midst of this call to care uh, that we see in light of God's people and their response, man, we, we, uh, we see this call from God's people because when we care deeply for the Word, it doesn't simply tell us who God is. It doesn't simply tell us what He has done. It doesn't tell us simply who we are, although it does all those things. The Word always presents the call to obedient action. And I believe one of the primary things as we learn and man, we pour in and soak up God's Word is that it teaches us to proclaim and present the Word to others. It says, Ezra taught and there was a group of people that went amongst all the other people and they sought to help them understand the Word of God. See, this is not a one-man show. And today in the church, we have to come to realize that the calling of God's people is not simply just a one-man show. This is bigger than what I teach. This is bigger than a staff of directional leaders or elders. Or even at times we just say, well, it's just my, my MC leader just teaches me the Scriptures. Or, you know, that's it. No, the call is that all would not just learn the Word of God, but learn to teach others the Word of God. For to teach someone to understand the word is what it means to live out our calling as a disciple of Jesus. In Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples. What? And then what does he say? Teaching them to what? Obey all I've said. Obey what's in the book. This is a call for all of life. Parents, your calling is to understand God's Word and then to help your children understand God's Word. In your marriage, it's to not go to all these best practices, but first say, okay, what does God's Word tell us about in our marriage and how I'm to serve my wife or my husband? If you're single, it's, man, how am I going to pour this in so I can go and I can pour this Word out to whoever would listen, right? In my workplace, how does it teach me to work? And how does it teach me to proclaim the gospel while I work? You see, we are called to understand and proclaim the truth of the word. Not our word, but God's word. But I think what's appalling is that, man, when people, like at times they hear that, uh, they either cast it aside, like it goes one ear out the other, or uh, they can't believe that they're called into this. I don't know how many times I've heard jokingly or serious, probably a mix of both. Well, Kyle, that's just your job. That's what you get paid to do. No. But now part of it, like I get like a part of that, like I, man, God is, uh, he is by his grace gifted me and, and empowered me to proclaim the word of God. But guess what? One of my primary jobs is to equip you so that you might proclaim the word of God. My job is not for you to come in here and feel good. My job and what I long for is for you to be dangerous for the kingdom. And, and that's going to come about, man, you allowing the word to just get inside. It reminds me of the you know, conversations we've been having with our children over the last few months because they're getting older. And with age comes what? Responsibility. 
And our kids are appalled that we would make them do chores, right? <laughs> like they look at us and they're like, hey, you need to take your plate. And they're like, excuse me, that's your job, mom and dad. And I'm like, no, you're a part of this family. It's your job too, right? So we moved from that to bathrooms. Blew their mind that you would ever have to, like to them, the bathroom is just clean. But no, like there's this moment where it's like, hey, if I'm going to, if you're going to be a productive citizen, but also based on God's word, you are called to these things and being a part of our family unit, this is how we're going to live. And so everyone has a part to play. It's the same in the church. Now, what I will say is this. Be careful. Understand the word before you go out just spouting whatever, because guess what? You can put a whole lot of you in that. But man, as you understand, teach. But also, man, if you need to grow in understanding, ask. Go to someone and say, hey, man, you seem to really know the scriptures. You just, how do you study the Bible? Will you, you teach me what it means? Like, you know, come, come be a part of equip. And that's what we really want to press into that. Don't settle. To do this, we have to have hunger. We have to have care for God's Word. We have to desire it above everything else. So we see the care for God's Word. Let's look now at what happens in verses 9-12. through 12. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn and weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing. Because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Okay, so as the word is taught to the people, as the law is laid before the people, what naturally happens to humble and open hearts when they're met with the standards of the law is that, guess what? The people are convicted of their sin. They're they're convicted of their brokenness. And it says they begin to weep and mourn. And what happens is the leadership takes note of this. and, And they understand something. You see, conviction void of hope leads to guilt and shame and despair in the hearts and lives of those who count encounter it. The people continue to realize that not simply are the walls not enough, but they're not enough. For the law reveals their brokenness and need, and it's the same for us. Like When we're met with, with the standard of God's Word, we realize really quickly, I'm not it. I may think I am, I may fake it like I am, but I'm not. And while confession is coming, we're going to look at that next week in Nehemiah chapter 9. The leaders continue with the call to respond to both the Word of God and the work that God has done before them by way of the rebuild wall and the reviving of the people. And so they say, hey, don't be grieved because the day is holy. Don't be grieved because the day is holy. You see, in the midst of their realization that they are not enough, they can have joy, for the Lord is their strength. 
He is the provider of not simply what they need, but the Savior and sustainer of who they are. You see, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance as we see that it, 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 we look at that in despair and then we see God's grace. Man, for us, we see it in the picture of the person and work of Jesus. You see, today in our lives, we can find hope in the midst of our own brokenness. For while the Word convicts and reveals our need, we find joy knowing that Christ is our strength and sacrifice. You see, Jesus does not simply provide for us what we need. He doesn't simply provide for us what we need. He is our Savior and our perfect sacrifice. And it's in light of this that that, that they say, look, we want you uh, to have joy because, man, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then they say, go and celebrate. They say, eat the fat. Drink sweet wine and then take portions to those who don't have anything. So they do two things. First, they eat and drink together. Which, man, if you read the Scriptures, there's something about a meal. You read the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is either going to or coming from a meal all the time. Reading Revelation, man, one day we're going to be at the table something about a meal and man that's why we like we believe like in sharing meals together that's why we our missional communities are man they're centered around that meal because there's something about that time as we grow together and we celebrate that god provides and that tacos are good because it's a common grace for our lives but also they're freed up it says don't just eat and drink it says go and take portions to others They're freed up and sent out to provide for all who have need. Man, our response is to be the same. Guess what? We have all we need. We freely, we've been given such grace. Man, may we freely give of it. May we have margin in our life for others. Whether it's time or food or acts of service, may we have margin. Why do we have the confidence to do this? And the reason why is because the price has been paid. The battle has been won. Christ is risen. When you start to understand the greatness of the cross in light of the greatness of your need, uh, a few things happen. First, man, uh, you, you, it says in the, the text, man, they are calmed. Like, man, we can have a calm heart because guess what? There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we have to prove. And yet, it has been done. Next, we can have, it says that the people have great joy. Man, because of Jesus, we can have great joy. Because Christ is our strength. And then we get to celebrating. We should be the most celebratory people on the planet because we have the most to celebrate. We should be the most generous people on the planet because we have been given an overabundance and we know who provides. And so in light of this reality, let's just close by looking at how the people celebrate. I'm going to read 13 through 18 and we'll finish up. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the word of the law. So they continue that, right? Like it's not just one day. They're like, hey, we're, we're good now. No, they come there like, no, we want to continue to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. 
And that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof. And in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the west gate and in the court at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who returned from captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. So they're told to rejoice and celebrate. And as they continue to come together to study the word of God, they find that God has commanded his people to celebrate the Feast of Booth during the seventh month, which, you know, had just started when Ezra begins to read God's word. Actually, in Providence, the, the Feast of Booth, the way it kicked off the first day was the reading of the law. So like they, they don't even know this yet. And, and yet Ezra in God's providence and by his grace, man, he starts off this feast by the reading of the law. And then they realize what they're called to do. You see, this feast was a worshipful reminder of God's provision and protection throughout their journey in the wilderness before their entrance into the promised land. You see, this celebration is key and it models the reality of what God's people had just walked through during their wilderness exile and the rebuilding of the walls. For what God had done for His people in the past, what they're seeing in this moment, what we see and what we can trust in even today is that He continues to do for His people in the present. See, while the people were in exile, while the people found themselves in the wilderness places, God brings them out and provides them with a place as his people. And man, the result of that is what? It says there was very great rejoicing. And today are we rejoicing in the light of the cross? We have so much more to celebrate. God has brought us out of the greater exodus, the greater wilderness, and into the promise, uh, greater than land. He, he's brought us into relationship with him. We have relationship. We have the Word. We have His Spirit residing in us. And guess what? He has authority over it all. So today, do you have a care for His Word? Do you have concern for His Word and what it says? Today, do you see your call as a follower of Jesus? It's not simply to fill a chair from Sunday at 10 a.m. to 11.15. There's a lot of other things you could do. give our lives to this. It says daily they were in the Word. Today in the midst of conviction do you trust in the finished work of Jesus that brought about not just your forgiveness but your life? So that's where I want us to sit today. I'm going to have the team come back up. Man, I just I want you just to take some time just to, to process. Man, where, like, where's your heart at today? And I want you to hear this, man, today, like if you're already going into like, uh, man, super deep, just like shame and guilt, man, uh, I want to calm your spirit today because, man, there's much grace. And, and His grace is, and guess what? The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so run to Him. 
Don't run to, don't immediately start saying, okay, at 5.30 a.m. I'm going to wake up and then I'm going to read for an hour and I'm going to pray for three hours. No, like don't, no, just sit at the feet of Jesus today. Say, Jesus, I just need you. Help me to long for you more than anything else. Today, as you hear God, maybe today, just say, God, amen and amen. Jesus, whatever you want to do with my life, amen. So be it. Maybe today you just need to rejoice. Because of what He's done. May we be a people that care for His Word, that have a deep concern for His Word. May we be a people that see our call as God's people to display the good news of God, the Gospel in every part of our lives. And may we run over and over and over again to the finished work of Jesus. And as we do so, may we be empowered and to go out and proclaim this good news. Word and in deed. And so I want to invite you to spend some time in prayer. Man, today, if you don't know Jesus, today, if you find yourself and you have, I have no grid for this, or I've just been doing a whole lot of, uh, of, of things, but I really don't understand why I've been doing all these good things. Man, come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about what Jesus has done for you. But then, man, if you're a follower of Jesus today, I want to invite you, after you've spent some time just kind of reflecting and in prayer, I want to invite you to come share in communion. May we share in communion on a weekly basis because we want to be reminded of what Jesus has done. May we want to be reminded that His body was broken, that His blood poured out so that we might have life. So that we might be able to stand and worship and celebrate. So we don't have to wonder what's next or what now. We can just continue to look to Him and trust that He's, he's got it. And so what you can do is when you're ready, we have uh, bread, we have, uh, we have uh, small cups, or you can dip. It's the same stuff. Just uh, if you don't feel comfortable dipping, uh, you can grab a cup. I mean, we invite you to come and share in communion, to come and share and remember the finished work of Jesus today. So I want to give you that time and that space, and we're going to worship. And um, yeah, so I'm going to pray for us, Jesus. We thank You that because of You, we have nothing to fear. God, we thank You for the Word. That while everything else is giving us all these different answers, Your Word stays the same and it is good. And it is what we need. Give us hearts that desire and hunger for it. God, that we would go to it first. I pray that that we would have a concern for the hearts of one another. Or that as we come to understand just the depths of Your grace, Lord, that we would not hold that in, but we would proclaim that to anyone around us. That we would be overjoyed and overflowing because of the grace of Your Word. Lord, that we would see that as the church, we all have a part to play. That we're all in need. That in You we receive grace. And that You are we are empowered to go live differently. I pray that this church would be uh, a place 
um, people that are on fire and are passionate about proclaiming the good news of the gospel. God, let us um, cry out to you now, worship you because you are worthy in Jesus' name.